before I start, I want to just um, have all of us spend uh, a very short moment in prayer for Bangladesh. Uh, recently, we've been receiving a lot of disturbing news. This one I just got on Friday, where um, this village, I've been there. I visited this village earlier in, in this year, where together with Care Channels, we, we provide tuition for the children, and we also feed them, I believe, five times uh, a week in partnership with another American organization called pa- Please Pass the Bread. And so this, this lady uh, is a single mother with two children, and she's Muslim. But she sends one of the kids to our tuition program and our feeding program. And when the, um, the evil people heard about this, uh, they burned down her house. Her house is like no bigger than a shack. And they burned it down, and together with her house, three goats also got burned. And uh, so we are finding a way to try and help her. I mean, we can easily build her a much bigger house like that. But I think it will give her more, more trouble. Uh, so we've got to have wisdom in knowing how to minister. And as well, I think all the other Muslim families will be very threatened uh, by this. One of the workers who had actually worked in Singapore for about nine years, called Tandu, we tried to get him a work visa to, to work in Singapore. We did not succeed. So he went back to Bangladesh and he's working there with Care Channels right now. And um, he also uh, was threatened. A group of 10 men came to his house and threatened him. And, uh, and so he's asking for prayer. And he's asking for prayer that the gospel can even be more effectively shared. Yob himself was also threatened. Yob was called up to the police because somebody said that Yob was threatening their life. <laughs> it's, it's really just right, right the, the opposite. And, um, and they interrogated him, they asked Yob a lot of questions, and this is still on, ongoing. So let's be praying. You would have read in the newspapers, Hindu priests, Christians, they're all getting uh, uh, killed in Bangladesh. And today's papers, there was something that the government cannot take it anymore. Like we've got to come out and have some law and order in, in this country. So let's be, be praying. Oh, one more that I received uh, on Saturday was uh, one of our co-workers, a family, was working with, with us, like just ran away. They ran away because they were too frightened to carry on. So let's be praying uh, for, for that. So just spend some moments together. We want to pray for Bangladesh and uh, the little that we know and a few people that we know that. Lord God, we stand together with our brothers and sisters in Bangladesh, and those whom we know, Yob, uh, Tandu. We want to pray for them, Lord, that all the more they would stand firm in the Lord. They would not succumb to fear and threats, but they look to you. Their eyes are on you. And Lord, that you will give them a gracious way to preach the gospel in the midst of persecution. You would protect them. You would protect their family uh, as the man travels in various districts to preach the gospel. The woman folk, the children are left behind. Lord, you send your angels to guard over them. We want to pray for this family who has run away due to fear. God, that you would calm their heart and their soul would have them return, uh, strengthened as never before. So God, um, 
let the word of God speed on and triumph in Bangladesh in the midst of all these difficult circumstances. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so we are in Sermon 2 of 6, based on First Kings. First of all, let me uh, share something uh, personal with you. Uh, my, my wife, Angeline, and I, these days, we don't run anymore. We go for walks. Uh, we got a dog to help us to walk. Sometimes he makes us run. Um, and sometimes we also like drive past certain areas. And very often when we drive past a, a house, like a big bungalow, and we will turn to one another and we'll say, wow, so close to the main road. Nah. Give me also I don't want, you know. Uh, but Cantonese sounds better, Songbing or Moi. Or we'll go to pass this place and wow, this bungalow is so ugly. Songbing or Moi. Or this one's so poor location. Give me also I don't want, okay? This is a bit of a Tang family joke. And, and these days it gets extended. And then we walk past this BMW that is like yellow color. And so, wow, BM like that. Uh, give me also the one. I think that God may have had just a moment like this, a little bit like this, when King David and his son King Solomon wanted to give God a house. And you will read about that in, uh, starting in chapter 5 uh, as we begin today. And, and a lot of details uh, are given in chapters 5, 6, and 7 about the building of a house for God. Yeah, there's a mistake up here. First of all, in, uh, there is a labor force of 30,000. And then uh, 70,000 who do nothing but carry burdens. These are all the slaves. And then the one who quarried, quarried stones is not 30,000, it's a mistake. It's 80,000. And over all this, 3,300 supervisors. A total workforce of 183,300 workers to build this temple for God. And we know that at least 150,000 of these 183,000 were slaves. And the children of Israel ought to know very well what it means to be a slave because they themselves came out of slavery in Egypt. And so what happened, 1 Kings at the end of chapter 6, things completed in the 11th year in the month of Bull, which is the 8th month, the house, the house of the Lord, the temple of God, was finished in all its parts and according to all its specifications. Solomon was seven years in building it. 183,300 men taking seven years means 1.28 million man years to build the temple. And Solomon, in his prayer of dedication of the temple in chapter 8, had quite a lot to say about the house of the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 13, Solomon says, I have built you, God, an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. In verse 20, For I have risen in the place of David my father, and I now sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord had promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 27, The house that I built, verse 43, The house that I have built, verse 44, The house that I have built, verse 48, The house that I have built for your name. It's a lot of I. I have built the house of the Lord. But at the same time, I think Solomon also displayed somewhat of mixed feelings, some ambivalence, even as he beheld 
the grandeur of this temple that he has built from 1.28 million man years. Because in verse 27 of chapter 8, he said, But will God dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. We've read at the end of uh, chapter 6 in verse 38 earlier that it took seven years to build the temple. The next verse that begins chapter 7 comes in like a stealth fighter. Just says very simply, Solomon was building his own house 13 years and he finished his entire house. So it took seven years to build the temple, but it took 13 years to build his own palace. Nearly twice as long. Can't help it, right? Because got to fit in 700 wives and 300 concubines. You need a big palace. And if you have a big palace, then you must have a beautiful temple at the same time, right? You see the logic? But did you know that the palace, I mean, the, the temple didn't last very long. It only lasted 34 years before it was ravaged and ransacked by the king of Egypt. In 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Rehoboam succeeded Solomon. In the fifth year of his successor, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Not so long, 34 years. So let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the genesis of the idea of the temple. Where did it all begin? It began in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king, when King David lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of Seda, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. This is the ark of the covenant that dwells in the tabernacle, the tent. And this tent moved everywhere with the children of Israel. And then continuing in verse 3, And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And this is where Nathan tried to read in between the lines of the king and jumped at the gun. And God had to correct him. And God said from verse 4, But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Would you build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded the shepherd, my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of Seda? Now therefore, you shall say this to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make... For you, a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. 
and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So which part of don't build for me, huh? I built for you, did David not understand out of this prophetic word that came from Nathan? But still, David went ahead with the temple project because once it was conceived, it, it just had a life of its own. It's been said that God prohibited David from building the temple because David was a man of war and he had shed blood. And so the implication uh, is that if David had not been a man of war, then he would have been the one to build the temple. But God did not actually say that. It was what David said that God said. God only said that David is a man after my own heart. Did God say that Solomon, the man who had a thousand wives and concubines, who turned his heart away from God, is more worthy than David to build the temple? And so a commentator once said that it seems more likely that David came up with this reason of, of being a man of war on his own during the, the many man hours that he lay awake at night, obsessed with the temple project. And the clue for this can be found in Psalm 132, where David was praying before God. David was saying, Remember, O Lord, in David's favour, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That, what is it? Obsessed he was with building God a temple. You have to say that David's heart was in the right place. He wanted to honour God if, if, if maybe a little bit misguided. And, and so did God react like, like yours truly? Did God say, Song Bing or Moi? Did God say, you give me temple, I sold the one? Did God say that? God wasn't ungracious uh, like me. He didn't say that. Instead, I think God, I don't think I know, God basically acquiesced. He just said effectively to David and to Solomon, your will be done. You want to build a temple? Your will be done. And so we know that the temple was built around 950 BC, 950 years before Christ, and that it was ravaged and ransacked and rebuilt and ravaged and rebuilt many times. The first time was 34 years later. And the so-called final time was 587 BC. The, the temple, the first temple by convention, uh, as it's called, was totally destroyed by the Babylonians. And then Zerubbabel in 515 BC started to build the second temple. By convention, it's called a second temple. And then it was also desecrated by Romans and, and all that. And, and when King Herod came onto the scene in 30 BC, he actually tore down the temple and rebuilt it. But it's still called the second temple. Okay, That's the second temple. And then, after Jesus... 70 AD, this second temple was totally destroyed by the Romans. And that's the end of the temple, the second temple. And so the world has lived longer without a physical temple in Jerusalem 
than it has with one. Right? There were thousands of years before Solomon built the temple. Solomon built the temple in 950 BC. It lasted, the second, second temple, until AD 70, about a thousand years. And then we've not seen a temple ever since. So from David's obsession with getting God a house, something which God never wanted in the first place, this, this whole thing got a life of its own. And even though we have not seen a temple since AD 70, the obsession with the physical temple hasn't stopped. Entire Jewish and Christian ministries are established to assist in the building of what is now called the Third Temple. You just Google Third Temple and you can see all kinds of stuff about people wanting to build the Third Temple. It is true that in Ezekiel, the last few chapters of Ezekiel, there is a very detailed physical description of this Third Temple. And I I may be totally wrong here, but I, I find it hard to... To, to interpret it um, uh, literally, it seems to me it may even be a figurative interpretation of the, the third temple because, because the Messiah has already come. Messiah has already come. We don't need to slaughter animals for sacrificial worship. And, and the very reason for establishing this third temple is to go back to the Levitical system of sacrificial worship uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Anyway, but I could be wrong here. But for Christians, Christians also want to assist in rebuilding this third temple in Jerusalem. Why? They say to hasten, to hurry up the return of Jesus. And a lot of this logic is based on this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 concerning the return of Christ. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarm, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So Paul was teaching the Thessalonian Christians, has not yet, not yet, okay? Don't be alarmed. And then he says, verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion comes first. And a man of lawlessness, this so-called antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So that's where it comes from. There is this temple of God, and antichrist will sit on it and proclaim himself as God. When that happens, yes, Christ will return. So in order to hasten Christ's return, Build the temple. Let the Antichrist sit on it. Ah, then Christ will come. So that's the logic. But really, I think to, to, to properly hasten the Lord's return, I think we much rather focus on Matthew, the word of Jesus. Matthew 24, 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as the testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I think that's a, a better project. Okay, to focus on and to focus on building the third temple. So let's now comb through the New Testament uh, quickly to get a better appreciation of what is this temple of the Lord? Temple of the Lord. First John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word of God, Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt. And the Word became flesh 
and tabernacled and had a tent among us. That's the actual word there, tabernacle among us. That means he was living with us, moving like in a tent with us. Christ has come to us in the flesh at his incarnation. In the spirit after his resurrection, he is still with us. And Christ made it clear that he himself was the temple of the Lord. You remember that soon after he cleared the temple, you know, he made a cord of, and, and, he, uh, and he whipped all the uh, merchants who were cheating people and buying and selling and profiteering in the temple. And the people basically say, Hey, who do you think you are? Here we are worshipping and buying and selling in the temple and you come and clear us out. And then in John chapter 2 from verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, It's taken 46 years for King Herod 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? So they were like speaking at cross purpose, okay? One was looking at the physical temple and Christ was looking at the spiritual temple himself. Verse 21, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Paul was saying, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is where Paul brought the whole temple not just from Jesus and Jesus' body three days and then will come alive again. It's the church corporately. The church corporately and all Christians in plural, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he brings it even more into individual, individual physical body in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's talking about the individual here. Do you not know that your bodies, your physical bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He was talking about even our very physical bodies, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then it sums it all up in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place, into a tabernacle, a tent for God by the Spirit. So today, individually, as Christians, bodily as Christians, and not some airy-fairy uh, spiritual uh, floating pers uh, person, bodily, physical, individually, corporately, as a church, with our head, Christ the cornerstone, we all grow into one, holy temple, tabernacle 
by God the Holy Spirit. Don't you think it's somewhat ridiculous? Uh, or at least you say it's, it's presumptuous. You know, to go around telling people, hey, temple of Holy Spirit. You know? Temple of Holy Spirit. And God dwells in me. But that's how it was meant to be from creation. That's how close God wants to be with us. God wants to dwell with us, in us. And this is grace because we have sinned. And He sent His Son die for our sins, wash away, cleanse us, and then He dwell, indwells us by the Holy Spirit. And this is grace. And this grace is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's a fulfillment of the end of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David wanted to build a house and God says, no, I never asked for a house. I'm going to build a house. This house I'm going to build for you is, is a kingdom that will last forever, the house that will last forever. And this is it. This is it. This temple of the Holy Spirit will last forever under God's kingdom. We are it. Uh, I prepared this, so I must well just put it up. That the notion that man wanted to give God a house that he never wanted was, was, was repeated by Stephen before his martyrdom in Acts chapter 7. It was also mentioned by Paul in Acts chapter 17, that uh, when, remember, he was on Mars Hill and he said, Oh, you guys are so religious and you got temples and you got idols. And I said, But God doesn't live in a temple. In fact, he gives himself to humankind and he will live in, in humans, um, giving them life and breath and, and everything. And then, finally, that is sealed, sealed in the revealed scriptures. In the second last chapter of the, of the Bible, in Revelations chapter 21, verse 22, and John the Apostle in a vision says, And I saw no temple in the city, no temple in heaven. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, God, Jesus. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and this lamb is the lamb. So, no temple, no sun, no moon. Because God is in all and through all. So, let's go back 3,000 years. Okay, We go back to 950 BC or so. And David wanted to build God a temple. And God said, no. God said, I will build a temple for you. David went ahead nevertheless and commissioned his son and, and made all the preparations for Solomon to build the temple. Solomon finishes the job in seven years, but took 13 to build his own palace. And then he had some mixed feelings in the end. But actually, this temple, uh, God is too big to live in this temple, right? Cannot be contained in a, in a temple. So you have to ask, what's up, man? What's up? Why like that? There is something to be said for free will, I believe. Where there is love, there must be free will because you cannot command and you cannot force anybody to, to love you. And, and God was saying, Israel, you, you want a king? You want a king? Okay. Thy will be done. Your will be done. Go have a king. And actually, I don't think there really is any reason why you cannot have a good king, a spiritual king who obeys God and follows all his commandments and rule his people in righteousness. You can do that. 
But let me give you some warning, okay? Chances are you're going to go the way of all the king and kingdoms around you. Just be careful of that, okay? You go there, you will degenerate. You are asking for trouble. Israel, you want a temple? Thy will be done. Your will be done. And then God gave his warning in 1 Kings chapter 9 that the temple, okay, but there must be integrity of heart. There must be uprightness. There must be obey, obedience to the commandments. A temple can be good. In fact, it can be a theological type as a prefigure of what that ultimate temple of the Holy Spirit is going to be like. You can learn from a physical temple, a beautiful temple. You can learn about purity. You can learn about the presence of God. In fact, God is going to come in a cloud and until people were so awed that they could not even uh, worship. You can learn about sacrifice. You can learn about the atonement. And so God allowed kings. God allowed a temple. God even allowed divorce for the hardness of man's heart. Remember Jesus said that, okay, okay, divorce allowed, but under only certain very strict conditions. You don't have to divorce, but if your spouse is unfaithful to you, you can divorce, but you don't really have to. So there's that, that freedom to love God, the freedom to obey, the freedom to serve Him or not. So let me try to, to apply the lessons of Solomon's temple this way by asking a question. Is your task a mask because you didn't ask? Okay, it's just trying to be funny here, but Solomon completed the task of building a temple with some mixed feelings as revealed in his prayer of dedication in chapter 8. But it was more than mixed feelings, I think. I think he, he may well have yeah, revealed a little bit of his mixed motives. I mean, I don't doubt that, that he wanted to honour God, at least initially, but I think mixed in is what some would today call a royal theology. The task of temple building masked that human self-will and pride. A king must have a god with him. A god must have a king to help him to rule. This is what is called that divine right uh, to rule. A king must have a palace. And a palace must have a temple that is beside it. A king is an instrument of God's rule, but it's more like a god domesticated in a temple is also an instrument of a king's rule. That this god in a temple is safe for human consumption because I built that temple. So a king in a king box and a god in a god box. And the god box is called a temple. The temple of the Lord. It's a very nice ring to it. Daniel, however, tells us, don't be deceived. Don't trust in these words. These deceptive words, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And are we Christians, the temple of the Holy Spirit, not sometimes similarly deceived? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we walk around with a mask that we don't even know. Why? Because our heart, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. 
who can understand it? And it is the Lord who searches the heart and tests the mind. So is your task a mask because you didn't ask? Solomon performed a great task, but it may well have been a mask. This great building that he built after seven years, it was a mask because he had this conscience problem that he was also building something that took 13 years for his 700 wives and 300 concubines so that the whole world will know what a great builder I am. Palace? Temple. A king, blessed by God. Nice palace, nice temple. A big temple, a big, bigger palace, and a very big appetite. So what tasks are we performing for God now? It's from our daily vocation, where you are studying, where you are working, to your leisure activities over the weekend, some sports that you're you're doing, some computer games that you're playing for relaxation, uh, to your so-called spiritual activities. Okay, every Friday I go to cell group and I have Bible studies and I have my quiet time. I serve in church, in worship, and I serve in some Christian organization. Do all these seemingly good tasks come with a mask? That they are hiding something. Don't forget that our heart is desperately deceitful, desperately sick. You know, I remember I, I was running for elections to be the secretary of MCCF, the Manchester Chinese Christian Fellowship. Uh, now it's called Manchester Chinese Christian Church when I was a student uh, not so long ago. My task was to win the election and then I can serve as the secretary of the church. I lost. And for a split second, the desperately sick part of my heart came to the fore and I basically told God, but only for a split second, uh, I told God like, God, uh, here I am trying to serve you and then I get rejected. Don't done. Uh. Split second only, okay? That's thought. Don't done. Uh. And then I examine my own heart. Why do I want to serve why do I want to be secretary of the church? It looks good on my CV. At least I got something to come home and then tell people that I got office, you know. I got a position in, in a church. And I at least got some CCA when I was uh, uh, in, in university. I could have served in many other ways. I don't need to be the secretary of the church. Um, and, and I did. And I did. Subsequently, I, I, I have a car then, okay? Um, so I drove my car in the mornings, early in the morning, cold like anything, to go and fetch children to Sunday school. I thought I was happy doing that until I drove into some of these homes and I see a BMW in the driveway. And the parents are warm in bed. Sleeping in there. I gotta pick up the children. You got BMW sitting in a driveway, and I'm driving my don't know eight-year-old human avenger that so often cannot start in a cold winter, and I gotta drive them. What's going on? And then your heart gets all stirred up, and, and that service is no fun anymore. Right? Every time you drive this brat, it's like resentment, resentment, you know? And and yeah, the heart is desperately wicked. You don't need high office and even low, low driver also. It's like, I'm better than this, you know. I'm better than this. 
And I've had conversations with many Christians who want to serve in organizations, and, and many of my friends uh, want to serve on the board. They want to serve on the board. And then I, I simply ask, so how have you been involved so far? I say, no. I bring my management expertise. I say, you, you never really even touched the thing. Like, you never got your feet wet, never got your hand dirty, and then you want to sit on the board of directors. But it's like that. Why like that? So I do wonder, is your task actually a mask for your own pride? Solomon had this great temple for God, but he had 1,000 little idols in the adjacent building, his palace, and these led him away from God. So there are the tasks and there are the masks, and we need to ask. We need to ask God, examine my heart. David did that. David asked Prophet Nathan, and after a false start, uh, even Prophet Nathan got a bit... Uh, 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 deceived by it all, and then he gave a very clear answer, but, but David went ahead and did it nevertheless. But maybe he was really, ah, God, I know better than you, lah, but I really, really wanted to honour you. So, are you doing what you're doing without having asked God? Or are you doing what you're doing without having asked God to examine your motivations and your heart? Are your tasks a mask because you didn't ask? I'm not saying that you, know, you don't do the task, okay? Until your heart is very clear, okay, forget about serving here and there. But, but come back to God all the time. Remove the mask and ask God. The asking, the asking is a process of purification and holiness. We're going to sing later. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. And so the pomp and the grandeur of building this temple has blinded the, the eyes of Israel to what is real, the unseen temple of the Holy Spirit. God wanted a much closer relationship with you as a tent moving with you than some grand brick and, and mortar temple. So let's ask God to reveal our hearts. And, and you know, it's fantastic to have your heart cleansed by God. Okay, after I saw through the thing, it doesn't bother me so much that I'm not secretary of the church anymore. And then it doesn't bother me so much that I wake up early and drive these little brats to church uh, when the parents are sleeping at home. It, it, it's a freedom. You're liberated. So ask God to purify our hearts. Jesus says you worship in spirit and in truth. We also work in spirit and in truth, and constantly examine our hearts on Monday mornings and then when we go to work, that piece of work that you're doing, what is it for? Are you constantly doing it with resentment or it is a piece of art before the Lord? You know, a lot of what we do is, a lot of our tasks, it's not incorrect, it's not immoral. I don't believe anyone of here, us here goes back on Monday morning and do something immoral, but it can be very incomplete and it can be very impure when our motivations are not right. Remember that it's not so much God wanting us to build something for Him out of our lives, but that God wants to build us the temple of the Holy Spirit with Christ as the cornerstone. And that's the grace that He shows to us. You know, they say that the house is not a home, right? They are totally different things. And then a home is also not a home. Even if there is a husband and a wife there inside a home, if there is no love, there is no communication, no community, that's not a home. 
I just completed a series of sessions with a young couple preparing them for marriage, and we talk about this. We talk about very, very simple, Ephesians chapter 5. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wife, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And I say, it's very simple, right? It's, it's so easy to, to love your wife when she submits to you, uh, as she submits to the Lord. Then you look at the wife, it's so easy to submit to your husband, right? When he loves you as, as Christ loves the church. And, and by this very rule of God, it, it liberates us. That love and submission liberates us because it's God's rule that if there is a yoke, it is light. If there's a bird, uh, easy. If there's a burden, it is light. It's, it's equilibrium. It's a restedness when, when that God's rule and God's principle is obeyed. So, receive God's love. Let Him build you up. Submit to God and let Him love you. And then we will feel at rest, at peace. Shalom. And we can thank God. But we might be feeling drudgery. That's when we need to ask. Is our task a must? Because we didn't ask. Ask God for that rest, that the most mundane work that you're doing, the most horrible boss that you're serving tomorrow, let's find that equilibrium. Because it's not that boss anymore. It is not that bread anymore. It is not a high title anymore. Because I'm only serving God. And that's my resting position. It is equilibrium. You disturb me, it settles back here. We've got under God's rule. Even in a family, I, I, I love my wife because she submits to me. Or I submit to my husband because he loves me. Because that is the rule of God. It is settled. It is a rested position. So let's ask God. Maybe a very, very simple matrix like that might help. I don't know. You, know, you look, look at your timetable. What is your heart for the task? Right? So this afternoon, what do you need to do? I don't know. Bring your sick cat to the vet or visit your sick grandmother or something. Is, is your heart in it or, or tonight? And, and then the weekdays, uh, what are you going to do in the weekdays, morning, afternoon, and night? Where, where is your heart in any one of this? So ask God to just press the reset button. It is for Him. We settle in that equilibrium position where there is love, there is liberty. And so David helped his son Solomon to build the temple. Will you let God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, help you to build His temple in you, the temple of the Holy Spirit? So let's pause for a moment and ask musicians to come and help us with a, a very simple chorus um, that I want us to sing as, as a prayer. I mentioned it earlier. Heal my heart, make it clean. Open my eyes to the things unseen. This this whole temple of the Holy Spirit is so astounding that God would allow us to call ourselves the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's how close the relationship He wants with us. Let's stretch, stand up, and we'll sing a short chorus together.
before him and let's ask let's ask search me O God and know my heart try me know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting lead me to that place of restedness equilibrium under God's rule create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me. Whatever tasks that we are looking forward to in the day and in the days ahead, let our hands approach it with a clean heart, a right spirit. What we do is dedicated to God, not for our pride, not in spite of something, but for God. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see how close that relationship God wants to have with us, that He indwells us, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So come before Him. Press that spiritual reset button. Wherever we are flung in all kinds of different directions, let's come back to that place of equilibrium. At the center of it all is a God who loves us, who wants to dwell in us, with us, who calls us the temple of God the Holy Spirit. There is still a struggle in our heart because of something that we simply cannot let go. We cannot let it come under God's rule. That task that just cannot be settled. Let's come and pray together. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray it right through that God can touch it and turn it from a mess into something that is rested Shalom, settle in equilibrium, equilibrium under the rule of God. Let's do that. As I open up the altar, I'll just say a final prayer. You can either pray by ourselves or come have one of us pray with you. Lord, thank you for your word, Lord. That there is free will 
there is that free and loving interaction with you. Even if you don't want a temple, you allowed it. And you work with us. You work with David. You work with great, big and little men of old. And we all journey right through with you. And I pray for each one here. God, that our hearts might be settled with you. We know who to turn to. Every time it becomes unsettled, and some task we need to do, some responsibility we don't like, Lord, you bring us back to that place where it is for you. It will be alright. There will be safety. There will be peace. There will be God's help. Holy Spirit with us. Yoke is easy. Burden is light. You are with us. That's enough. So Father, help us in this way, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Things. Uh-huh.